Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our text, the Holy Gospel for today, the account of the healing that our Lord Jesus Christ performed upon Jairus' daughter. These words, and one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, and upon seeing Jesus, he fell at Jesus' feet, and he entreated him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her that she may get well and live. And Jesus went off with him, and a great multitude was following Jesus and pressing in on him. And while Jesus was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official, saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? This is our text, dear friends in Christ. A number of years ago, there was an interesting story in USA Today about a Miss Candy postal wait, who had received a sizable check from the Veterans Administration. And that's not really the strange part. The strange part was is that the check that she received in the mail was not made out to her, and so she was determined that the rightful owner of the check should receive it, and so she put the check back into the mailbox the next day and wrote on the envelope, wrong address, and put it back in there for the mailman to deliver elsewhere, and wouldn't you know it, but a few days later, the same letter came back again, and the check was in the mail, and determined that the rightful owner would get it. She mailed it again, and a complicated series of events unrolled after that. Her mailing out the letter, receiving it back, she made a number of telephone calls long distance to the Veterans Administration. She made trips to the post office. She corresponded even with the Treasury Department, and yet she received the same check back seven different times, according to the reports that were given. And finally, in desperation, she called the area FBI office, and she told one of the agents that she intended to destroy the check, thinking that that might excite something. He informed her that she couldn't destroy the check because the check was government property, and it was against the law to destroy government property. And so then she said that she would cash the check in. And he said that you can't do that either because it's not yours, doesn't belong to you. I don't know whatever happened to that check. I don't know whatever happened to Miss Postal Wait. But you can certainly be confident that she was frustrated by it all. The last thing that we heard, the article simply concluded by saying that she was, quote, waiting further instructions, unquote. It might be amusing to us, but we certainly all know the feeling and the sensation of waiting further instructions, of being put on hold for one reason or the other. How often it happens with ordering something over the phone or trying to contact customer service that you get that hold message and you're put on hold for who knows how long, at least the courtesy now is given of telling you how long you'll have to be put on hold. Interesting customer surveys that have been taken on customer dissatisfaction recently have revealed over the past 15 years the number one complaint about customer service is being put on hold when you call in, this being the first year that it fell from first place to third place, with two other concerns being even greater among customers. But we certainly don't like being put on hold. It frustrates us, especially if being put on hold means that we can't get through and it's a matter of urgency, as has happened at times with some 911 calls, 
that have been made. Keeping that in mind, this whole idea of being put on hold and the frustration of it, especially when there's something urgent at hand, keeping that in mind, picture now in our text for today, this frantic father named Jairus. Because certainly if anyone was put on hold, it was this man. His daughter is deathly ill. In fact, his daughter is dying and no one's been able to do a thing for her. He's hard-pressed to find something that might work. He's heard much about Jesus of Nazareth, how the day before he had already, as we heard last week in the gospel, stilled a storm at sea. And that very morning, how he had miraculously healed two demoniacs in the Gesserit shore. And then afterward, taking a boat to Capernaum, how he had said to a paralytic, rise up, take up your pallet and go home. And the man rose up and he walked like he never had been stricken at all by the crippling paralysis that he had. Who is this man? And Jairus certainly must have thought that and thought, I have to contact this man, I have to be able to get to this man, I have to be able to get in touch with this man. Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him and that the, the demons and the diseases give way to him? Who is this man? But was there perhaps also a limit? Is there any, any mortal would have? Is there a limit perhaps to what this man would be able to do? in a certain period of time. After healing the demonics and stilling the storm at sea and healing the paralytic and then, of course, confronting, as he did, the self-righteous Pharisees and having debate with them, those Pharisees who cornered him outside of the house of Matthew, the despised tax collector whom he had that very day dared to eat with, and then even called to be a disciple. And now the Pharisees were gathered about him questioning him about all of these things. After all of that, might he, Jesus, not be too tired? Might he not be too exhausted? Might he not be too involved with other things to give attention to this man? Especially because this man, Jairus, was a religious leader, Scripture tells us. He was a leader of the synagogue. And Jesus, just having put up with so many religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, would he give attention now to another religious leader of the day? And so you can imagine that from the father's standpoint, the timing of the whole situation could not have been worse. And yet what choice does he have? And so he pursues the cause. His daughter is dying. He must get to Jesus. And making his way through the crowd, he makes it to Jesus. And he has to do it because, after all, what's a father to do? This is his only daughter, Scripture tells us. It's not that he had others. This is his only daughter. Just a young girl, 12 years old. Time is quickly running out. Tomorrow would be too late. It must be today that he gets to Jesus. And so with a pace that raced this father's breaking heart, determined as he is, he sets out to find help for his dying daughter. And finally he comes to Jesus. Jesus still talking to the Pharisees outside of Matthew's house and setting all pride aside, setting all pretense aside as to who he is, setting all protocol aside. The man, the text tells us, falls on his face before Jesus. 
He comes literally begging Jesus in this most humble of positions. My little daughter, he says, is dying. Please come and put your hands on her that she would be healed and live. And so Mark tells us, and Jesus went with him. And Jesus went with him. And a great crowd followed. And the great crowd, Mark says, thronged about him. Now, if the crowd had simply followed him, that probably wouldn't have delayed Jesus and Jairus too much in being able to get to the house where the little girl was. Maybe not, would not have slowed them down that much, but Mark tells us that the crowd thronged about him. Interesting Greek word, soon phlebo, pressing about him on every side, pressing him from the front, pressing him from the back, pressing him from the sides. And they are pressing in upon Jesus and Jairus so that they can't make the progress they otherwise would make. Can't you imagine Jairus' thoughts as the crowd is pressing on, not simply from the sides and the back, but from the front as well, and the progress being slowed down by this pressing throng. Time is running out. Precious minutes are flying by, so wasted because of the crowd. Can you imagine how despairing the father perhaps must have been? And then, and then of course, the worst happens. The worst happens. Without warning, Jairus is further put on hold because there's a woman in the crowd. And this woman is suffering with an incurable disease that she had had for 12 years. And during the entire lifetime then of Jairus' dying daughter, who was 12 years old, this poor woman had had this terrible problem something that the doctors themselves had been unable to help her with at all. If only I can reach out, she says, and even touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. I'll be healed, I'll be restored, and Jesus is hastily, of course, remember walking now with Jairus, trying to get through this throng of people, and she reaches out, and she only touches the hem of Jesus' garment, and she is healed didn't take much time, did it? She didn't slow them down in their progress in getting to Jairus' daughter. All she did was follow behind, reach out and touch the hem of Jesus' garment. She didn't put the whole situation on hold, but Jesus did. Jesus is the one who determines that he would stop, turn about, ask who touched me, speak to this woman, she tells him the whole story of her illness. Can't you imagine Jairus at that point in time as this woman is laying out the whole history of her illness before Jesus? And he is so eager to get to his dying daughter. Jesus puts it all on hold. And while Jesus was still speaking, Mark says, some men came from the house of Jairus and they said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? And ignoring what they said, Jesus told Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. And they went to the house of Jairus, where Jesus took Jairus and his wife, along with his inner circle of disciples, Peter, James, and John, into the room where the little girl was, and Jesus took her by her lifeless hand, 
And he said to her, as we heard in today's gospel reading, Talitha kumni, little girl, I say unto thee, rise up. And immediately the little girl stood up and she walked about the room. Jesus put Jairus on hold, but he did not forsake him in his need. In due time, in his time, he reached out and he robbed death of its prey and with the word he put life back into that little girl who indeed had been dead. And sometime later, Jesus put people on hold again. He does that with his people for his good reason. He put people on hold again. Remember Mary and Martha who had sent word to Jesus that their brother Lazarus was seriously ill and would surely die if Jesus didn't get there to their home quickly. And scripture then tells us that Jesus intentionally waited until Lazarus had been dead for four days before he makes his way to Mary and Martha and to his good friend Lazarus who was dying. And only then did he arrive at the home of Mary and Martha, who with a hint of accusation said, If only you had been here, Lord, our brother would not have died. But do you remember what happened? Jesus stood before the tomb of their dead brother, and he shouted out, Lazarus, come forth. And he raised Lazarus from the dead. He came forth, and he was bound, and they untied him, let him go. Would we not be wise to learn from both of these accounts, from that of Jairus and that of Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, would we not be wise to learn from these accounts that our Lord establishes his own agenda and he does his own thing in his own way, always for the good of his people? You see, faith merely makes its earnest appeal. And then it leaves the timing of the resolution of the problem to God. It leaves it to him to determine when and how he will accomplish what is best for his own. Even as did Jairus through the learning experience of it all, and certainly Mary and Martha as well. When faith is put on hold, and note it well, when faith is put on hold, it still holds on to Christ. It looks to the cross and it says, there is my confidence. When it's put on hold, there is my confidence that Jesus Christ has taken hold of me and he's not going to let me go because there is where he took hold of the worst of me where he took hold of all of my sins and the worst of all of my transgressions and he paid for them all in full because he wouldn't let go even of them there is where he stretched forth his arms and he gathered onto himself not only my sins but the sins of the whole world and seeing that is the most important concern he pressed forward onto the cross and there took all of our transgressions onto himself that's where he took hold of my sins and he died with my sins and he was buried with my sins there's where he held my life so close to his and my death so close to his that even as he died and was raised again from the dead so I might be raised also then and walk in this newness of life that is mine because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the Apostle Paul said so eloquently in today's epistle lesson though he was rich having all that heaven holds yet for your sake he became poor that through his poverty exposed most surely upon the cross of Calvary through his poverty you might be made eternally 
rich. It still holds true. When we're put on hold by God, our faith still holds on to Christ because the cross proves that he will not forsake us even as he delivered us from our sins, so also he will deliver us from every one of sin's afflictions in our lives. There's a modern painting by the artist named Shields which symbolizes the qualities of a patient faith when it's put on hold. A beautiful creature with great wings is standing alone. Her ankles have been chained to a large and a huge sundial. She possesses powers of flight, but she can't use them until God's appointed time comes. And meanwhile, she just waits, crowned with thorns, encircled by growing briars and thickets all about her. But she clasps to her breast the word of God, and she bears on her shoulders the yoke of Christ. And her lips are closed uncomplainingly, and her eyes are looking forward to things afar off in the distance. And so she waits in faith, holding on to that word of God, that promise of Christ, knowing that in his good time, the call will come, the fetters will be struck from her, and her wings will finally be given opportunity to soar. A grand portrait of faith, a faith being put on hold patiently and firmly, holding on to the love and to the goodness and to the mercy of God. As our Old Testament lesson put it so beautifully this morning, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail us. They are new to us every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. Great is thy faithfulness. It is. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.